Father, this morning we just recognize, Lord, that as we gather together this morning, this thing that we're doing, being together, singing to you, reading from your word, hearing truth, we recognize, Lord, this is just your grace on our lives. And so, Lord, this morning, I pray that every person in this room would experience that grace. That someone in this room who is discouraged or depressed or in pain or lonely, Lord, this morning would be encouraged and lifted up. Lord, maybe that's through a song, maybe that's through your word, maybe that's through someone in this room just giving them a hug and encouraging them personally. But Lord, would you do that this morning? Lord, if there's someone in this room who is just stressed, it's the holiday season, or there's a lot going on in their life, Lord, would you just allow them this morning to experience the grace of being able to just walk away from those distractions for a few minutes and focus in on your love for them? Or Lord, if there's people here who are just on a mountaintop and they are experiencing the joy of the Lord, Lord, would you just sustain that? Let that grace just keep going. But Lord, whatever it is this morning, I pray that we would have our faith built up as a result of being here. And Lord, I pray as we get into Luke chapter one this morning, that Lord, you would just help us to just meditate on the fact that Jesus, you have saved us. And, and Jesus, not only have you saved us, but you're going to save us. And so Lord, I pray that you would reveal to us the part that you have called us to play in your plan to bring salvation and redemption to this broken world. And so Lord, do that in our hearts this morning. We love you and we ask these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, one of the reasons why I love living in this part of the country is because here we have a true four seasons. Uh, I love that we have hot summers and cold snowy winters and a great summer and fall in between. And I think the reason why I love it so much is because I love change. I love it when things change. I don't like you know, doing the same thing over and over again. And so I love that every three months it's gonna change. The climate is gonna change in some way, shape, or form. Uh, I, you know, there's nothing that puts you in a better mood than the first 70 degree day of spring. I mean, I love it. It's my favorite day of the year. But I, lo I love change. Uh, my family, we just bought a house. We close on it on Friday. And uh, so we're moving this Thursday. So everything is changing and there's so much to do and I'm stressed out. And if, you know, things seem weird up here, that's probably why. But I, I love it too. It energizes me because things are changing. I know for some of you though, change is stressful because you like predictability. You like things to stay the same and consistent. And when things change, that just kind of wigs you out and you, you don't like it. It's stressful for you. But there is one kind of change that I believe that all of us, every human being, is looking for, is longing for, and waiting for to happen. 
a type of change that's expected. There's something inside of our souls that expects this change to come, and it's elusive, but we're looking for it to come. It's deep down inside of us. And that is a desire to see our world and our lives change for the better. There's something inside of us that believes that things ought to change in our world. We live in a broken world. And we all experience brokenness in this world in, in different ways. And regardless of how we experience it, we all desire to see this place change for the better. Uh, we desire to eliminate poverty, but it, it's elusive. It, we can't, despite spending so much money trying. Uh, we desire to see natural disasters prevented, but we've got no control over the weather. Or we desire to eliminate diseases, and despite incredible advances in medical technology, they're still with us. We desire to rid the world of hate and malice, but there always seems to be something to divide us. We desire to eliminate the suffering in our own lives, to see healing in our own bodies. I know some of you live with chronic pain and suffering, and we wanna see that change or we wanna see relationships have been broken, restored, but we're powerless. We live in a broken world and we're waiting for it to change. There's something in us that says this should change. And it feels like when we make progress in curing a disease or in resolving this conflict or meeting the needs of this person that there's still just this insurmountable amount of brokenness in our world that we just can't seem to change. And here's the hard truth. We're stuck in our broken world. And although we long to change it, and although it is good to try, it's good to advance in technology and our knowledge so we can deal with diseases. It's good to try to alleviate poverty. It's good to work towards justice in our world. All of that is good and we are called to do it. But despite that, the reality is we can't change it. Maybe we can improve it a little bit, but we can't change it. We need to be saved from this broken world. We need someone who is more powerful than us, someone who is unlike us, to save us from this place. And for our third week of Advent, we're gonna talk about how Jesus is that savior. But here's the thing. When we talk about the fact that Jesus is our savior and that we've been saved, quote unquote, I think that when we say that, we're referring to a component of what it means that Jesus is our savior, but not the full thing. See, when we typically talk about Jesus as our savior, we are usually referring to how Jesus has saved us from our sin through his death on the cross, right? We're talking about individual justification, usually when we say, or we talk about Jesus' salvation, that he saved us from the judgment that we deserve, he's forgiven us of our sins, 
And he has now promised that we could spend eternity with him. And, and that is true. That is a massive component of the way that Jesus saves. But see, we typically talk about the personal component of salvation. Jesus has saved me from my sin. But we don't talk about the cosmic component of salvation. That not only has Jesus saved me personally from my sin against God, but he is our savior also because of what he is doing now and what he is going to do in the future to bring about change and salvation to the brokenness of the world. And so this morning, I wanna help all of us come to a more holistic understanding of what it means that Jesus is our savior and not just to us, but how Jesus is the savior of the whole world. If you remember for our Advent series, what we're doing is we're studying four different announcements about who Jesus is from Luke chapters one and two. So two weeks ago when we began, we studied the announcement that the angel Gabriel made to Mary. And she announced that Jesus is gonna be a king, specifically the king on the throne of David. Last week, we studied Mary's song, the Magnificat, and, and her announcement that Jesus is our true joy. And this morning, we are gonna study the announcement that Jesus is our savior from Zechariah in Luke's chapter one, verses 67 to 79. But before we read, let me set up the context a bit, the story that's going on. There's a lot of backstory to Zechariah's announcement, so let me try to paraphrase this for us. Uh, Zechariah was a Jewish priest, and he was married to a woman named Elizabeth, who was a relative of Mary. And Luke tells us that Zechariah and Elizabeth were old, and Elizabeth was barren, meaning she could not have children. And so one day, Zechariah was chosen by Lot as a priest to be the one to go into the most holy place of the temple and offer a sacrifice of incense to God. And so Zechariah, he finds himself, he's going into the most holy place of the temple where this is where the presence of God dwelled, and an angel appears to him, to Zechariah. And the angel tells him that Elizabeth is going to get pregnant and that they will name their son John. This is John the Baptist. And that God is gonna use John to prepare the way for the Savior, who's Jesus, who Mary is going to conceive. And that John would go before the Savior and announce that he has come to God's people. And so Zechariah doesn't believe the angel. I mean, he's sitting there going, are you, are you serious? You know how old my wife and I are? And, and, and she's never been able to have children I mean, at the time, Zechariah sounds a lot like Sarah, Abraham's wife, when she was promised a son and she laughed at God saying, there's no way in my old age that I could have a son. And so Zechariah, if he knew his Jewish history, should have known better in this instant. So what the angel does is says, okay, here's what's gonna happen. You are no longer gonna be able to speak until this happens. And so he goes mute. And so Zechariah comes out of that most holy place in the temple and he probably has a look of visible shock and he cannot speak. So everyone's going, what happened in there? And no one knew. So Elizabeth conceives, she gives birth to a child to everyone's amazement. 
And through all of this time, Zechariah was unable to talk. Maybe that was a blessing to Elizabeth, being pregnant at an old age. I don't know. And eight days after the child was born, Elizabeth and Zechariah bring the child to have him circumcised according to the law. And the whole community expects that they will name this child Zechariah after his father, according to tradition. And so Elizabeth says, no, 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 his name is not Zechariah, his name is John. And, and everyone was like, why is his name John? That doesn't make any sense. That's not how we do things. So they look to Zechariah and say, hey, do you try, to, try to signal to us, do you agree with this? And so Zechariah says, give me something to write on. So he gets something to write on. He says, his name is John. And at that moment, God opens Zechariah's mouth and the Holy Spirit comes upon everyone. And there, Zechariah makes an announcement about who Jesus is, and he also speaks a prophecy over his son, John, who is John the Baptist. And it's this announcement, it's this prophecy that I want us to read and study together this morning. So let's read that. Luke 1, starting in verse 67. So this is what just happened. His mouth just opened. He's speaking for the first time in a while. Verse 67. Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and provided redemption for his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David, just as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets in ancient times. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us. He has dealt mercifully with our fathers and remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. He has given us the privilege since we have been rescued from the hand of our enemies to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness in his presence all our days. And you, child, John the Baptist, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So, Zechariah declares in this announcement that Jesus has come to be our savior. Uh, verse 68 declares that God has provided redemption for his people. Verse 69 says that God has raised up a horn of salvation in the house of the servant David. So, so remember, two weeks ago, we already established that Jesus would come and he would sit as our king on the throne of David. And this phrase, horn of salvation, is a phrase that we see in the Old Testament talking about how God would save his people. So the, the fact that Zechariah uses this phrase means that he is trying to make a connection that, that Jesus is the Savior, he is the salvation that the Old Testament is waiting for. Verse 70 says that, that Jesus is the one whom has been prophesied about. Jesus is the one who is going to fulfill the oath that was given to Abraham. So let's just stop here for a second. Let's try to make sense of all of this. 
Because Zechariah is clearly trying to connect Jesus to the Old Testament. And so if we go back to Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, I want you to see these connections. Genesis 12, verse 3, what happens is God makes a promise to Abraham. Abraham was the father of the Jewish nation. And so he makes a promise to him. He says, Abraham, I am going to bless the entire world through your descendants. That's the promise that God makes to Abraham. And so, great, that's the oath that Zechariah is referring to in our text this morning. And then Paul, over in the New Testament, makes a connection for us in Galatians chapter three, verse eight. I'm gonna read this for us. Look at what Paul says. He says, now the scripture, referring to the Old Testament, the scripture saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles. So Gentiles think everyone who's not Jewish, all right? So the whole world, that God would justify the Gentiles, the whole world, by faith and proclaimed the gospel. So referring to the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. Proclaimed the gospel ahead of time to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed through you. He's quoting Genesis 12, three there. Paul is all the way in Galatians. All right, so, so here's what the Bible is telling us. The Bible is telling us that the gospel of Jesus Christ is what God was referring to when he promised Abraham that the whole world would be blessed through his descendant. That's what the Bible's saying that the gospel of Jesus Christ was what God was referring to all the way back in Genesis chapter 12. So Zechariah is declaring here, as we would expect, because the Bible is consistent, that Jesus, who is a descendant of Abraham, is the fulfillment of the oath that was made to Abraham. Jesus is the one through whom the whole world will be blessed. Jesus is the savior of the world. And the Bible was always pointing to this specific plan through Jesus Christ to save the world. The whole Bible points to it and it waits for it, anticipates it. But Zechariah's announcement that Jesus is our savior doesn't have a narrow view of salvation a narrow view where all Jesus would do is just deal with our sin. No, like we mentioned before, Zechariah's announcement has a cosmic view of salvation. I want you to see this, verses 74 and 75, where it says, since we have been rescued from the hand of our enemies to serve him without fear, in holiness, in righteousness, in his presence, all of our days. So Zechariah here is not just talking about being saved from our sin, he's also talking about being saved into a new kind of world. A world without brokenness, where we live in holiness and righteousness and the presence of God forever is what he's saying. 
See, when the Old Testament looked forward to the salvation that God would bring through Jesus, it looked forward not just to the forgiveness of our sins. It did look forward to that, but also to the establishment of God's kingdom, where God would come and he would change this place for the better. He would establish his kingdom. It looked forward to when this broken world would finally be changed and redeemed into the place that we long for. And we just read about this. The Barangs came forward just earlier and read from us Isaiah chapter 35. And I wanna read that again because this is the Bible's view of salvation. This is the Bible's view of what Jesus came to accomplish. Let's look at that text again, Isaiah 35. Think of what our world would look like if this were true. The wilderness and the dry land will be glad. The desert will rejoice and blossom like a wildflower. It will blossom abundantly and will also rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the weak hands, steady the shaking knees. Say to the cowardly, be strong, do not fear. Here is our God. Vengeance is coming. God's retribution is coming. He will save you. What will that look like? The eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. For water will gush in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The parched ground will become a pool and the thirsty land springs. In the haunt of jackals in their lairs, there will be grass, reeds, and papyrus. A road will be there and a way. It will be called the holy way. The unclean will not travel it, but it will be for the ones who walked the path. Fools will not wander it. There will be no lion there. No vicious beast will go up on it. They will not be found there, but the redeemed will walk on it. And the redeemed of the Lord will return and come to Zion with singing. Zion, God's kingdom. Crowned with unending joy. Joy and gladness will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee. That's the kind of change that's built into our soul that we know ought to happen. Yes, we desire forgiveness of our sins, but we truly long for the redemption of this world to live in a place that is marked by joy and and not sorrow. This is what Zechariah announces Jesus is here to do, to save us and establish the kingdom of God as described here in Isaiah 35. But you might be thinking, Alan, that sounds good. It's a lot of Bible, a lot of connections. But how long has it been since Jesus came? 2,000 years? Two millennia? And it does not seem like the world is getting closer to the reality of Isaiah 35. So did the plan fail? What's what's the deal? It, It seems like we still live in a broken world. Well, and this is what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about how Jesus is going to save us and establish his kingdom. 
I wanna talk about where we currently are in that process and what Jesus is doing right now. And I wanna talk about the part that God has called us to play in his plan to save the world. And here's what I want you to see. I want you to see this morning that Jesus is executing his plan to save the world in three stages. Three stages. That Jesus' work of establishing the kingdom of God is playing out in three different stages. This is what I wanna show you this morning, so we'll go through these briefly. Here's stage number one. Stage number one of Jesus' plan to, to bring salvation is this, the defeat of sin and death in his first Advent. Remember, the word Advent, which we celebrate right now, means arrival. And during the Christmas season, we celebrate the first arrival of Jesus as a little baby born to Mary. And Zechariah is declaring that this baby is the Savior, the one who is going to bring about the world we desire and we read about in Isaiah 35. But don't forget the second part of Zechariah's declaration, the part where he speaks a prophecy over his son, John. Why don't you look at this, verse 76, 77 in Luke 1, where he says, talking about his child, and you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people knowledge of salvation through their forgiveness of sins. Zechariah is saying, John, you will be the one to announce to God's people that the Savior is here, and you will announce to them that there will be forgiveness of their sins through this Savior. Because the first thing that Jesus is going to do in his plan of salvation is defeat sin and death. And this is what John does when he begins his ministry. He announces this. We see this in Mark chapter one, verse four, where John says this, John came baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And so for Jesus to save us and establish his kingdom, Jesus had to first deal with the sickness that infected this world with brokenness in the first place, and that is our sin this belief in our hearts that it is better to be without God, that we're better on our own. This is a belief that is so blasphemous and it has so many consequences that have brought brokenness into this world, consequences that we can observe all around us, that there would be nothing that we could do to get ourselves out of this. As, are we already, as we already noted, nothing we could do to change this world for the better. Sin is not something we can fix. Sin is something we need to be rescued from. And so the mission of Jesus' first advent, he came on Christmas Day, was to defeat sin by offering himself as a sacrifice to atone for our sins to make a way where God's people could be forgiven of their sin and no longer regarded as an enemy of God who would never be welcome in his kingdom, but now to be regarded as a child of God who will forever be welcomed in God's kingdom and that will never be taken away from us. 
As long as we are still declared guilty of our sin against God, we can never participate in Isaiah 35. You remember it said the redeemed won't walk that road. I mean, the, uh, the wicked will not walk that road. So the point of Jesus' first advent was to become a man, stand in our place, to take upon himself the guilt of our sin, the punishment of our sin that we deserve. And because the punishment for our sin is eternal death, it's eternal agony separated from God because that is what we deserve for our sin. When Jesus stood in our place on the cross, our sin put him in the grave dead. And if Jesus were to stay there in the grave, what that would mean is that sin would win. That sin is more powerful than God. That the death of Jesus, the Son of God, was not a high enough payment to pay off our debt of sin. But friends, Jesus did not stay in the grave. On the third day, he rose again declaring that he does have the power to forgive sins. That our debt is paid in full. His payment was satisfactory. That he has erased our guilt and now declares us not enemies, but sons and daughters of God who are now welcomed into God's kingdom, invited in for all of eternity. We now have the cure for the sickness that broke the world because Jesus came out of the grave. Sin and death has been defeated. But remember, this is only stage one of Jesus' saving work. He defeated sin and death, but he was not going to fully establish God's kingdom yet. Why? Why not do it right there? All right, came out of the grave. Let's do this. Let's go. Isaiah 35, right now. Why did Jesus not do that? Because of his promise to Abraham. What did God promise Abraham? Remember, God went to Abraham and said, Abraham, here's my promise to you. Your descendant, who we now figured out is Jesus, he is going to bless who? The entire world. The whole world, the, the actual language says all peoples, all people groups. And so after defeating sin and death, Jesus goes to work on stage two. Here's stage two. Stage number two of Jesus' saving work is making disciples of all nations through the church. Now that Jesus had defeated sin and death, it was time to spread that message to all people, to everyone, so that they would have an opportunity to repent of their sin, place their faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins, and be invited into God's kingdom so they could be included in Isaiah 35. So after Jesus rose from the dead, he began to gather people together and get them ready to start this thing that we call the church. And said that he was gonna ascend, be with the Father for a time, and during that time, he was going to empower his church to do stage two. Here are his marching orders that Jesus gave for stage two. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 and 20. Jesus came near and said to them, so these are all these people, he's gathered together, his disciples and other people. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Why? Because I just walked out of the grave. I defeated sin and death. So I now have all authority has been given to me 
So here's what I want you to do. Here's stage two. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations. All nations. That's the promise of Abraham. Genesis 12. You are gonna be a blessing to everyone. So Jesus says, all right, go to everyone with the message of Jesus, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you, teach them my word, and remember, I am with you always. Why? Because this is my saving work to the end of the age. Well, when's that? What's the end of the age? To the end of stage two. We're in stage two now. I am with you till the end of that. This is your mission. This is where we currently are right now. It's called the, the church, and we have the mission of spreading the good news of the forgiveness of sins, and that that is available, and an invitation to God's kingdom is available to everybody. And so let me just pause here for a bit and, and, and say that th this is the part of God's plan of salvation that we are all called to participate in. Because we're in stage two now and Jesus has given us a role to play. We have the answer to what every single human being longs for. There's a reason why we still live in a broken world today. Because before Jesus brings the kingdom of God, he wants more people. That's why we still live in a broken world. It's out of love. Because he wants more. So Christian, you need to understand this. I want you to get this. You have the same calling over your life as Zechariah prophesied over John the Baptist. You have the same calling on your life. Zechariah said that John's calling was to give people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. That's verse 77. That was John's calling. And you, Christian, have the calling to give people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Those are marching orders straight from Jesus Christ. John came proclaiming that the Savior has finally come. We go out proclaiming that the Savior came. He died on the cross to pay for our sins, went into the grave, and is now alive. John proclaimed in verse 78 and 79, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death. And we proclaim to all people that there is hope in this broken world, that there is a savior, that one day this will all change for the better. And that hope is Jesus. And so Grace Hill, this is why we exist. This is why we exist as a church. We exist as a part of God's grand plan of salvation. We have been given a mission, a part of stage two. This is why we wanna see people all over Herndon and Northern Virginia come to faith in Jesus Christ. And this is also why we wanna be involved in sending and resourcing people to go to all nations and declare to them the message of Jesus Christ. It's all a part of the plan that God whispered in Abraham's ear all the way back in Genesis 12. It's all part of it. Any church... Any church that does not see their mission 
as boldly proclaiming that salvation is available exclusively through faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that only through faith in Jesus can one be saved from their sin. Any church that does not primarily proclaim this message is no church a part of God's plan of salvation. Let me warn you, there are imposters everywhere. They look the part, but they don't say it. And I pray that at Grace Hill, we will be faithful to play the part that God has called us to in his plan of salvation. It's not up to us what we declare. I pray that Grace Hill will never waver from our message, as Jesus says, until the end of the age. And the end of that age is when Jesus initiates stage three of his saving work. Stage number three of Jesus' saving work is this, the establishment of the new heaven and new earth in the second advent. We celebrate the first advent of Jesus at Christmas, but we also long for and wait for the second advent of Jesus where he'll finally bring his kingdom in full. When sin and death are defeated and all of God's children have been gathered through the mission of the church, Christ is gonna come back. And God allowed the apostle John, so a different John than John the Baptist, the apostle John, to have a vision of what it would be like at the second advent of Jesus when he returns to us. And he writes about this in Revelation chapter 21. I wanna read this for you, verses one to six. This is John's vision. I can turn my page. This is John's vision that that God has given him of what it will be like when Jesus returns, when he initiates stage three. He says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth, the broken one, had passed away. And the sea was no more. It was a metaphor for evil was no more. I also saw the holy city, the the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. This is what Isaiah 35 would refer to as Zion. And then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity. And he will live with them. What did he do in the garden? He kicked them out. If you're gonna be sinful, you can't, you can't live with me. But sin is no more and God's dwelling is with us and he will live with us. They will be his peoples. And God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things, the broken things, the things that we long to see changed have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And he also said, right, because these words are faithful and true. And then he said to me, It is done. 
I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. And life begins in God's kingdom for all of eternity. Earlier in Revelation chapter seven, we see where John tells us that at that moment when that happens, you know who's there? People from every nation, tribe, tongue, language, people group in the world. Abraham's promise fulfilled. We long to be saved from the brokenness of this world. We all do. And that's what God is doing. He's in the midst of it right now. He is bringing redemption and healing to this world right now. And so let's understand as the church where we are in this story. We're in the middle of it. And so let's have hope because sin has been defeated and God's kingdom is coming. We're, we're in between. Sin's been defeated and God's kingdom is coming. Let's have hope. Let's have endurance because we still are in a broken world with a mission to spread the good news of what Christ has done. Let's have love for our neighbor because we have a hope that they don't have. They don't realize they need a savior, but we know that. So let's have love for the people around us, especially the ones who make living around here hard. Let's have extra love for them. Let's have humility because we need to be saved just as anybody else. In Isaiah 35, it says, only the redeemed will walk that holy way to God's kingdom. We walk that path because of Jesus, not because we earned it. Let's pray for Jesus to come back. Because I don't know about you, but I'm tired of the brokenness of this world. It's a lot to take in. I'm sure you are too. I'm sure you're tired of the brokenness of the world, so let's, let's pray. Jesus, let's start stage three. I'm ready. But until then, we'll do what you've called us to do until you come back. So let's pray now. Let's pray that Jesus comes back and that we will be faithful to do what he has called us to do. Will you pray for me, with me? Father, as I said earlier, I know there are people in this room who are hurting. I know there's people in this room who have chronic medical problems and pain that just will never go away. Doctors have told them it just probably will never go away. I know there are people in this room who have a lot of grief and sorrow over relationships that have gone south. Lord, I'm sure there are people in this room struggling with depression or stress or anxiety. Father, I pray that, Lord, the message that you have not forgotten us and that you are still in the midst of your saving work and that we have eternity to look forward to in your kingdom where you promise there will be no pain, there will be no sorrow, there will be no sighing. 
Lord, I pray that that message would encourage their soul right now. That they would truly believe that this life now, Lord, it's just like a mist compared to the time that we'll spend in eternity. Lord, I pray right now if there's anyone in this room who does not know Christ, they have not trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, they have not trusted in Christ so that, Lord, they could be your child and, and not your enemy anymore. Lord, I pray that in this moment now you would reveal yourself to them, that you would open up their hearts and they would say, yes, I, that longing you talk about, about things in this world changing, I have that, but I, it's hopeless. And Lord, I pray that you would bring them hope in and through Jesus and that they would surrender their life to you right now. And Lord, I pray you would encourage the whole church that, Lord, we would understand the calling that you have given us. But, Lord, we do pray that you would return. Lord, the world is ready for the redemption that you bring. Lord, we're ready for that vision that you gave us in Isaiah 35 and in Revelation 21. Lord, we pray that you would make that true. We pray right now as we sing to you, Lord, that it would just glorify your name. We love you, Lord, and in Christ's name we pray.